We're in John chapter 21. <clears throat> well, I'll tell you the story of Lois Sechrist. She was 15 years old and in church, and she felt that God was calling her overseas as a missionary. But a few years later, she met a handsome guy. She fell in love, and she got married, and she didn't go overseas. He became a heavy drinker. Life didn't turn out the way she expected. When he died in 1988, she thought again about the promise she had made long ago to God that she would serve him as a missionary. But in 1988, she was 76 years old. There wasn't a mission agency in the country that would take her on. And so she said, Lord, I'm too old now. I can't do this. And she came about that close to backing out again. But she couldn't forget. She had promised God. And so she started to think about it, pray about it. She started investigating and making plans and raising money. In 87, she built an orphanage. And she began building an orphanage in the Philippines at 87. And when she was done, it housed 35 orphans whose stories would just break our hearts. But her love became a channel of God's salvation, his grace to them. Lois got a second chance to do something that she'd failed at 54 years earlier. If you think you've missed your chance, that it's too late for you to do what God wants you to do, think again. Lois is God who is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, hasn't given up on you. So please don't give up on yourself. God doesn't throw in the towel. We're the ones who do that. We try and fail, or we fail to try. Then despise ourselves and throw in the towel. God never does. He just continues bringing all things into conformity to his purpose, and you and I can be part of that purpose. You can be part of that purpose even after you've failed. Don't give up before God does. And God doesn't. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's really hard. Abraham Lincoln was seven years old when his family was forced out of their home on a legal technicality. Maybe that's why he eventually became a lawyer. He had to go to work and find jobs to do at that age to support his family. At nine, his mother died. At 22, he lost his job. At 23, he took out a loan to become a partner in a small store. At 26, his partner in the business, who was an alcoholic, died. The store closed, and Lincoln found himself with a huge debt that took him years and years to repay. At 28, after courting a girl for four years, he asked her to marry him. She said no. At 37, he was elected to Congress. It was his third try, but he was voted out of office after one term. At 41, his four-year-old son died. At 45, he ran for the Senate, and he lost. At 47, he was defeated as a vice presidential candidate. At 49, he ran again for the Senate, and he lost again. At 51, he became president of the United States. Now think about it. If that little grocery store in New Salem, Illinois, had not failed, Lincoln might have gone on to become a successful grocer and not the President of the United States. We might not have a United States. 
You and I need a Lincoln-like, never-give-up attitude, but not because we believe in ourselves, but because we believe in the God of Abraham and of Moses and of David. Each of those men failed somewhere along the way and needed a second or a third or a hundredth chance. When we fail, we try again because we believe in the God of Jesus, the God who instead of being done with us after the human race's trillionth failure, gave his only son for us. Now, I want you to understand that when I'm talking about second chances, I'm not talking about a chance to be more religious, to get it right this time, or to score enough points to get into heaven. Now, by all means, you get a second chance opportunity, take it. But remember, you're playing in a game that's already been won. Salvation doesn't depend on a second chance opportunity, but on reconciliation to God through the cross of Jesus Christ. Salvation is not dependent on our trying, but it does give us the opportunity to try. Seize the opportunity and do something for the kingdom of God, where you are. That opportunity will often be a second chance opportunity. The third key to a winning home This is part of the series. If you want to hear the first two keys, go get CDs when you leave and listen to them. The third key to a winning home is taking advantage of second chance opportunities. We need to learn to rebound. Rebound from our failures and our falls. Everyone has them. And try again for God and his kingdom. The Bible is full of stories of people who tried and failed and of people who failed to try. Think of Moses. He tried to do something for God. He failed. And then he spent the next third of his life apart from the people he'd known. He probably felt like he'd been sent to the minor leagues. But God called him up and put him back in the game. And he was a game changer. Think of David. Man, he fell in a big way. But God wasn't done with him. He still had plans to use him for good. And he did. Consider Elijah. His courage failed, and he copped out. He copped out big time. Then he got so down on himself that he wanted to die. He prayed to die. But God planned to return him to action and do important things through him, which he did. Think of John Mark. You know the story of John Mark. He signed up for Paul's and Barnabas's mission trip, and then he backed out partway through. My dad used to say, and he said it so many times that I got tired of hearing it, but I wish I'd said it more to my kids. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. When the going got tough, John Mark quit going, and he went home. And yet this quitter became the author of the first, chronologically, of the Gospels, the Gospel according to Mark. St. Paul, who was very upset with him at the time, would say later of him that he was useful to me in the ministry. Now, I could go on. There's Paul himself. For the remainder of his life, he marveled that God gave him the opportunity to contribute after what he'd done. There was Samson. There was Jonah. They all failed. They all failed spectacularly. But they all got second chance opportunities. Now, that's not because of who they were, 
but because of who God is. This is what he's like. Marvel at him. If you think you don't deserve another chance, guess what? You're probably right. You didn't deserve the first one. But it's not about what you deserve, but about who God is and what he's doing in Jesus Christ. And you can be a part of that. The third of the four keys to winning a basketball game, we've been talking about this, and winning at home, is rebounds. We could put it this way. The third key is taking advantage of second chance opportunities. You know, I've played basketball with people who almost never got a second shot. And, and it's because they never stayed with the play. They'd shoot, they'd see the ball's going to miss, and they'd give up on the play. They remove themselves from the action, even the possibility of a second chance opportunity. I've seen people do that in their home. They fail, and then they give up. Or their kids fail. Their kids make a mistake, and they act like it's the end of the world. No, there's a second chance opportunity there. Your marriage is going through hard times. You, you started out a drive to improve it, but got fouled along the way, and now you've given up. You talked to a coworker about Christ or about church, and she didn't seem interested. You think, well, I tried. But you forget about the rebound. If you just stay in position, you might get a better opportunity than you had to begin with. Look for rebounds. After the plan breaks down, and that happens all the time to everybody, after the plan breaks down, after you've failed, even after you've done something stupid, look for a rebound. Don't give up. Don't take yourself out of the play. Second chance opportunities come, but they come to those who are looking for them. St. Peter's the perfect example. He failed big time. He was like one of those athletes that you see before a game, before a big game comes up, and they're talking about how they're better than everybody else, and then they go out and get crushed. That's what happened to Peter. After insisting he would not fail and implying that everyone else might, Peter categorically denied Jesus, even though Jesus warned him he was going to do that. And he didn't just do it once, he did it three times. After Jesus was raised, he met with Peter. The Gospels tell us that happened. They don't tell us what took place in that meeting. Jesus is a good coach. He didn't talk to Peter in front of the other guys. It was a private meeting. Peter returned to the team, but I suspect he felt like he was still riding the bench. He's a failure. The events in John 21 happened after that meeting with Jesus. So he's still on the team, but will he ever get the chance to contribute again? John 21, Peter decides to go out fishing, and six of the guys go with him. It's a great story. We're not going to take the time to read the whole thing, but I encourage you to do it. It's a fun story. They're not going recreational fishing. You know, I like to go out and fish for fun. These guys are commercial fishermen. They're doing this to earn some cash. They fish all night. That was the time when commercial fishermen were on the lake, and Sea of Galilee, and they didn't catch anything. So yet another failure. You ever feel like that? Like you can't stop failing? You're on a roll, but you're on a roll on the edge of a cliff? Peter knew that feeling. 
In the morning, they're out in the water. They're not too far from shore. They're 100, 150 yards away from shore. Maybe 100 yards. And they hear somebody calling to them from shore, telling them to cast their net on the other side of the boat. At first, they don't know who it is. But after they catch this slew of fish, they figure it out. When they're back on shore, they find Jesus is waiting for them. So let's pick up the story. It's John 21. I'll start with verse 9. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals, literally charcoal, with fish on it and some bread. So get the picture. It's early morning. The sun probably hasn't even come up. But if it has, it's just come up. It's the coolness of the morning. They come to shore. There's a fire burning. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they'd finished eating... Jesus said to Simon Peter, in front of the other guys, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. There's a lot in there that we are not going to cover. It's a great passage. Uh, If you want to go deeper into this, grab one of the go deep sheets on the table by the CDs before you leave and go over it in your own time during the week or come to go deep, which is on Wednesday night at Bigby Coffee at 6.45. As I already mentioned, Jesus had had a private meeting with Peter and things between them were good. Hence Peter's eagerness to get to shore. He doesn't wait for everybody else. He jumps overboard and he swims to shore. But things between Peter and the other guys may have still been strained. And the question of Peter's future usefulness is still up in the air. When they got to shore, Jesus had breakfast ready. He's cooking on a charcoal fire. The last time charcoal was mentioned was on the night Peter denied Jesus. He had stood with Jesus' enemies, warming himself, John tells us, by a charcoal fire. This whole scene, this morning scene on the lake, The miraculous catch of fish, the charcoal fire, the meal of bread and fish, all of it was meant to and did evoke memories of the past for Peter and his friends, including past failures. After breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, in the hearing of all these guys, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? 
more than these might mean more than you love these friends of yours. These guys. Do you love me more than you love these guys? Or it might mean, do you love me more than you love all this? The boats, the nets, the sea at sunrise, the fisherman's life. Do you love me more than these? In Greek, either is possible, and there's a third possibility. Do you love me more than these guys love me? Do you love me more than they love me? Remember, Peter said in front of these guys, this is Mark chapter 14, if everyone else fails, Jesus just told them, you're all going to fall away. And Peter says, look, even if they all fall away, I will never fall away. When, when we read this, we're not sure which one of these things Jesus meant. I'm pretty sure Peter felt the same way. Scholars are always trying to see which one. I think it's this one. I think it's this one for all these different reasons. I think Peter felt the same ambiguity. So Peter, Jesus asks him, do you love me more than these? And Peter answers whether he understood completely what Jesus was saying. He answers yes. Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus did know, better than Peter did. But after Peter's spectacular failure, the other guys might have had their doubts. So Jesus gives Peter a chance in front of all his friends to say, yes, I love you. I, I really am. I'm on your side. I know I messed up, but I'm back. I'm here with you. Now, some preachers read this, and they find significance in the change of Greek words for love. So Jesus says, do you love me? He uses the word agape. Do you agape love me? And Peter replies, yes, Lord. You know I love, different word for love, uh, phileo, you. I don't think we ought to make a big thing out of that, and for a number of reasons. For one, Peter answers Jesus, and it's really emphatic in Greek. Do you love me, agape me? And he says, yes, very emphatically. Um, for another thing, John, more than any writer in the Bible, in fact, more than any writer I've ever known, he hates redundancy. If he can use a synonym rather than repeat a word, he'll do it every time. And further, he's been using these words interchangeably. So in, in John 3.16, God's love for people is agape love. For God so loved agape, the world. But in, in chapter 16, verse 27, God's love for people is phileo love. The Father's love for His Son is agape love in 3.35. It's phileo love in 5.20. Christians are supposed to love one another with agape love in chapter 13. They're supposed to love one another with phileo love in chapter 15. So I don't think we should make a big difference between these words. I don't think we find it there. But what we must find, we mustn't miss, is that Jesus gives Peter, even after he totally botched things up, a second chance opportunity. He passes Peter the ball right in front of all of his friends. That's what's happening when he, when he says to Peter, feed my lambs. Jesus goes on to do this two more times. So these guys knew that Peter had denied Jesus three times. Jesus now gives Peter the opportunity to confess his love and loyalty three times. I don't think Jesus was pushing Peter's buttons or trying to make him angry or feel bad. He did this so that Peter would have the opportunity to affirm his love and loyalty in front of the other guys could be recommissioned in front of them and put back in the game. Now, think about what would have happened if Peter, after his failure, had just given up. I mean, right after there's when he goes wandering and he doesn't come back, he's out there when Jesus meets him, by the way. Um, what was going through his head? 
I'm no good at this. I can't do this. I'm just a failure. We should remember that it was after Peter's epic failure that God gave him the gospel and told him to go to the Gentiles, to us. It's a good thing for us that he rebounded and took advantage of a second chance opportunity. All right, let's kind of take this around. You've messed up. Maybe it's really bad. Like Peter, you're ashamed of what you've done. Like Peter, your family and friends aren't so sure of you as they once were. And like Peter, if you don't rebound, your failure is going to affect other people besides you. You've messed up. Maybe the failure has to do with your family. You've let them down. Maybe you've talked one thing but done another, just like Peter. Or you've messed up at work. Or like Peter, you've betrayed a friend. What will it take you? to get you back into position so that you can get back into the contest, so that you can do something for the kingdom of God. To get into position, you have to start with Jesus, even before friends or family. Admit your failure to him. Ask him to forgive you. If you're a failure affected, other people do the same with them. So the rule is, The scope of making right must be as broad as the scope of doing wrong. When making right happens in a family, when, for instance, a dad tells his family, I was wrong, and asks for forgiveness, the effect is powerful and can be life-changing on the dad and on the family. but get things in the right order. If you fail God and hurt others, your first priority is not to accomplish something, but to right relationships. Very often when we mess up, we try to do something else that's right, kind of to make up for it. Sometimes we want to rush back to the place where we can do something, but being something comes first. I think of pastors who've messed up. They've committed adultery. Their anger has become apparent in the whole church. They're often eager to get back in the pulpit, eager to do something, something for the kingdom of God. They think that accomplishing something will somehow merit their restoration, but relationship comes before accomplishment. Every time. Loving Jesus comes before feeding his sheep. It is the prerequisite to, it's the source of, and it's the goal for all effective service. It all comes out of loving Jesus. You know, sometimes here we talk about needing more volunteers, and man, sometimes it seems like we do. But even more, we need volunteers who love Jesus. The life that we want and need, the life of love and of truth and of power, it flows from him. So start with him. One last thing. We often think after we failed that we are so far from success that we'll never get there. I have. 
I'm sure you have too. It's all lost. It's never going to be right. Think of the disciples in the boat that morning. They fished all night and failed to catch a thing. But when Jesus told them to cast their net on the other side of the boat, they were only a boat's width away from success. A boat's width away. And they almost missed it. The distance between you and success, doing something for God that will make a difference in your home and among your friends, is only the distance between you and Jesus. Close the distance. Let's pray. I'll give you a minute to talk to the Lord about anything he said to you. If you've failed and you haven't asked him to forgive you, haven't admitted that, would you do that? Would you tell him you go beyond that and make restitution to those you've hurt? And if there's distance between you, would you ask him to bring you back to him? And take the steps to do that. God, we talk about the never-ending, reckless love of God. Lord, help us to believe it with all our heart and souls. Magnify yourself among us. Lord, I pray especially for the person who's thinking they've been sent down to the miners and are never going to be able to contribute again. Would you give them, would you show them the truth? Would you show them yourself and give them hope? In Jesus' name, amen.